Barbara, we are going to your father's broadcast. No, I'm never coming out. He's still going on about the stupid Beatles breaking up. They're not stupid. Barbara. You're stupid. Barbara. People are going to be writing about us for the rest of our lives, probably, and after we're dead. So I intend to either confuse the issue so much they never knew what was going on, or to try and keep shoving out bits and bits. So as whoever is bothered to be looking at it in the future, the people that really know will sort out, you know, they'll know what was going on a bit. There's a lot of books about the Beatles, a lot of theories, and I try not to read them. And whenever I do, the first thing is like, oh, that's wrong. Where you go, trying to find out any little bit of dirt that they can write about you. Beatles is Beatles, are Beatles, Beatles, Beatles. It doesn't matter, you know what what people say. You can't live all your life by what they want. Another kind of mind, a different kind of Beatles podcast by another kind of mind. Welcome to A Mistake in Many Ways, How Lennon and McCartney Accidentally Broke the Beatles. This is episode four. In episode three, we detailed John's change of heart over the future of the Beatles and the multiple ways in which he tried to communicate with his absent partner. We showed a John that was hopeful and ready to reconcile and move forward, but was also growing impatient. John's proposal was a rebirth of the Beatles, and he took a mixed-media approach to spreading this message, utilizing radio, magazines, song, and the Postal Service in his efforts to get through to Paul. Paul, however, refused to engage and remained focused on completing his first solo LP, the seminal lo-fi classic, McCartney. In this episode, we will follow John's escalating attempts to provoke a reaction, any reaction, from Paul. Since none of John's multimedia outreach proved effective, John set his sights on what he knew was sure to smoke Paul out, Paul's music. John unilaterally moves the release date for the McCartney LP, and he and George inform Paul of the change via inter-office memo. Ringo volunteers to deliver the letter, and gets chewed out by Paul for his trouble. On April 10th, the press version of McCartney is released and the interview inside creates a firestorm of headlines, declaring the official end of the Beatles. But just before the news hits the van, Paul finally reaches out to John via telephone at Arthur Janov's London Clinic. We'll take a close look at that questionnaire the phone call, and the damage caused by both. Is this the last straw for the Beatles? What was John trying to accomplish by moving Paul's release date? Did Paul really intend to announce the breakup of the Beatles? Or was he actually proclaiming his split from John? Was he talking to John? The world at large? Both? both? All this and more 
in episode four of A, A Mistake, Mistake in, in Many Ways. ways. Okay, so listeners, we're going to begin with a little callback to the first episode in this series, I Want a Divorce. In that episode, we discussed Mikhail Gilmore's 2009 cover story about the breakup for Rolling Stone. Gilmore was definitely not what anyone would call a Paul guy. In fact, he outright declared that John was the true genius of the group. And he referred to John and George as profound men, whereas his portrayal of Paul lacks any such superlatives. <laughs> and yet, Gilmore said this about John and George. They overplayed their hand, and there's no way around it. They treated McCartney shamefully during 1969 and unforgivably in the early months of 1970. Which makes me appreciate this article, John is the true genius quote, notwithstanding, <laughs> because it's fairly revolutionary to not do what many authors do, which is to suggest that John and George's brilliance and depth somehow justifies their poor treatment of Paul, which yeah. is some kind of weird cognitive dissonance. John and George were such good people that it was fine for them to be bad people yeah, well they could only to be paul? they could only be bad to paul if it was righteous and justified correct so let's find a way to make this paul's fault mm. anyway so in this episode we're going to discuss those early months of 1970 and that unforgivable behavior and we'll also pick apart paul's behavior the mccartney album press release the phone call to john and as always, <laughs> we'll delve into the <laughs> John and Paul interpersonal drama. A hot mess that is Lennon McCartney. <laughs> the driver of all this nonsense. <laughs> the nonsense fountainhead. <laughs> and fair warning, this is notoriously one of the worst periods in Beatles history. Oh, yeah, this is some of the ugliest stuff in their canon and as always, we're going to try to look at things compassionately, but just as a heads up, it's not all going to be pretty. Some of it is very, very nasty. Yeah, sort of inexplicably so, but we're, <laughs> we're going to try to explicate it. <laughs> Daphne, guess who they bring in to work on the Let It Be tapes? Well, gosh, Phoebe, who? He's a very famous producer. Give me a hint. Okay, think of like a glass partition. <laughs> <laughs> like a wall? <laughs> yes. Surely you can't possibly mean the man who was convicted of murder and died recently in prison. That's the one I mean. No way. Yep, mm-hmm. The one who shot a gun near John Lennon's head in the early 70s? Yeah, and then tied him up and John yeah. thought he was going to get raped? Yeah that, yeah, that guy. The one that John said, finally I'm with someone who really loves me about? 
<laughs> oh, John. Oh, John. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I hate all the people around you. How many megalomaniacal hangers-on does it take to screw <laughs> up the Beatles? <laughs> the answer is three. Klein, Spectre, and Janov. The unholy trinity. Yes! <laughs> the trifecta of ass clownery. <laughs> to be clear, we're not suggesting there was anything wrong with the three Beatles hiring Spectre. He was a renowned musical producer. You know, in fairness, he's produced many classics, including one of my favorite Ike and Tina albums. <laughs> Which one is that? Give it a it, plug. I think it's um I think it's called Mountain High Valley Deep and Mountain High or something. It's from 1968. And my copy has a sticker on the front on the cellophane with a quote from George Harrison. Oh no way. Yes, ma'am. It is. It is. It's it's called River Deep Mountain High. It's an amazing yeah. album. It's hot. Yeah. And it's, it's not the Beatles' fault that he's a sociopath. It is it is not. Well, and he hasn't killed anybody yet. <laughs> exactly. He's, well, that we know of. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, true. Anyway, so the very talented and <clears throat> eccentric Phil Spector was brought in to take a crack at Let It Be. Spector was once floated in like the Beatles meeting as a well, potential sure. producer. Some people have looked at this as if it's some sort of smoking gun. Like, oh, what? Wow, look, Paul was at a meeting once when Spectre's name came up. So, you know, there you go. Oh. That's consent <laughs> for anything Spectre does. Well, okay, so that's not consent for the finished product of what Spectre does. But yes, you are right. He was at, at, at least amenable to the idea of potentially bringing Spectre in at some point. So after Get Back was filmed and recorded, Glenn Johns did a cut of the album in May of 1969, and the Beatles took a cover photo and everything. The parody of Please Please Me. But the Beatles weren't happy with it for whatever reason. And then they moved on and did Abbey Road. So Glenn Johns tried again in December. This time they said, you know, just keep the music that's going to be in the film. I guess they had a rough cut of the film by then. But again, the Beatles didn't like it. So Spectre is brought in, he does his remixing, does a song sequence, inserts dialogue from the movie. Overall did, I guess, a perfectly fine job. The mixes themselves are, are pretty muddy, like we've talked about before, but that, that's not Spectre's fault. So right, Spectre starts working on the Let It Be LP at Abbey Road Studio on March 23rd. On April 1st, a 33-piece orchestra and 14 vocalists join Phil Spector in the studio to add overdrabs to Across the Universe, I Me Mine, and The Long and Winding Road. Now, one of those will prove to be a problem. <laughs> <laughs> one of these things is not like the other one. Yeah. We'll come back to The Long and Winding Road controversy. Let's just put that on the back burner for now. We'll wind our way back to it in episode five. Yes. So here goes. Here comes the first horrible incident, <laughs> which is when John and George took it upon themselves to push the McCartney album release date without Paul's knowledge or consent. Not only was moving the date without Paul's permission indefensible, we'll also explain why it was completely unnecessary. 
and why we therefore think this was a deliberate attempt to fuck with Paul, either, as we said earlier, to smoke him out and get him to confront John, or just for the sake of fucking with him. (laughs) We've cross-referenced these dates with numerous sources. Wiki says, the situation then changed when Spectre reported that work on the Let It Be album was almost complete, meaning it could be issued to coincide with the film's world premiere. Okay. (laughs) Meaning the original plan was to release the album after the film, but because Spectre had worked so quickly, they were like, oh, we can bump up the the LP. Yeah, then we release it together with the film and we can all see the advantages of that. Right. They were going to release them separately. Because apparently that wouldn't be the end of the world. Well, exactly. That it was the original plan. And as it turns out, that ends up being what they do anyway. (laughs) Right. But in late March, John takes it upon himself to change that plan without consulting Paul and writes to EMI ostensibly on behalf of the whole group saying, we have arrived at the conclusion that it would not be in the best interest of this company for the record, McCartney, to be released on that day the idea being that it would hurt sales of both records to release them so close together so this is before specter has even completed work on let it be it's before he even convened the orchestra to work on across (laughs) the universe i mean mine and and long winding road that doesn't happen until april 1st yeah so john just unilaterally preemptively moved paul's release date then on march 31st they inform paul via a memo after the fact as a fate accompli so i keep reading this argument over and over again that like well i mean they had no choice they had to release them at the same time i mean what else were they gonna do okay well yeah it is cool that they could you know release them at the same time but the question is why does that mean that you have to bump Paul's record that's not a foregone conclusion why do I keep reading that in every book like what were they gonna do if if let it be is now coming out on April 24th for god's sake there's no what are they gonna stick with their original plan come on that's just insanity okay stupid Daphne why don't you tell us why that would not have been insanity (laughs) well Phoebe doing my research which I love to do (laughs) if paul's first solo effort had been released as planned on his initial date and the beatles had decided to break with their initial plan and move up the let it be album release date this would actually have been far from the first time that a beatles solo work had been released at the same time or very close in time to a beatles group release could you please give us some examples daphne well i could in fact (laughs) For example, the White Album was released on November 22nd, 1968. John and Yoko's Two Virgins album was released on November 29th, 1968. So that's a week, right? That's one week. Mm, Yes, seven days apart from one another. That's very interesting. Very interesting. It is is interesting. John and George said that seven days apart would be stupid. Mm. Okay, so... 
John and Yoko released an album within seven days of a Beatles LP. That's interesting, but I'm sure it's an isolated incident. Are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> you shouldn't be because you're wrong. <laughs> I have another example. John and Yoko's Give Peace a Chance single was released on April 7th, 1969. The Beatles single Get Back Slash Don't Let Me Down was released on April 11th. Hmm. Wait, so four days afterwards? I believe that would be correct. And let me go out on the limb here and say, I believe that four is less than seven. So wait, so John's allowed to release a record four days before a Beatles record. Yes. Cool. That's something to chew on. Okay. Do you <laughs> have maybe another example? Oh, well, you know, I'll have to check. Let me check my research barrel. Oh, you are not going to believe this one. <laughs> John's Cold Turkey single was released on October 30th, 1969. Guess, just guess when the Beatles something slash come together single was released. Well, I mean, it would have to be at least two months because that's only reasonable, right? <laughs> Let me give you a little hint. Ding dong. Trick or treat. Are you saying that something slash come together was released on Halloween of 1969? I am. What? I am. Good guess. But Daphne, that's only one day apart. <laughs> it's almost as if they keep getting closer and closer together. As the Beatles splinter into solo artists and have enormous freedom to do whatever they want. So John is allowed to release a single one day before a Beatles single. George is only A-side, by the way. <laughs> Well, not only that, he's not only allowed to release a single one day before a Beatles single, he's also allowed seven days later to release a double album, John and Yoko's Wedding Album, which was released on November 7th, 1969. That's very interesting. Huh? Very interesting. I find that so interesting. I'm so interested in the <laughs> research that you've done. I can't tell you how fucking interesting I find that. <laughs> It's great that no one has seen fit to fucking point that out in a Beatles book, but we get tons of like, oh, Jesus, how fucking irrational could Paul have been? I mean, they had no other choice. They had the, the, no other choice. Huh? What? No reasonable person could possibly believe that they could just let him have his release date they as is. Just go with the original plan that they'd already agreed on. Yeah, so our point is that there was really no reason to do this. If anything, they, they owe Paul a courtesy to be like, hey, Paul, heads up, your album might get a little buried in the Let It Be release. Because we're the ones who have changed the plan. Exactly. Like, so do you want to move it? Are, are, if you want a bigger rollout, you can do it, you know, later, maybe. Sure. Or are you good? Totally. Give Paul a heads up and let him know and let him choose because I'm sorry, He's still one of the Beatles and he's still a quarter owner of Apple. Is he not? You know what you know would also even have been reasonable? What's that, Daphne? A case for that. And maybe argue a little bit with him. That would also be okay. Yes, if he was like, mm, no, I want to keep it. 
it would be fun like, to oh. go okay paul but just if you could just hear me out for a minute yes we could let me try to persuade you yes that would be fine too if they had reasonably maturely called paul up and said hey buddy uh heads up do you want to move it or not and paul freaked out and screamed like how oh, fuck you don't ever call me again how dare you even suggest that i move my dirty state and slam the phone down then yes you could be like okay wow paul's being the fucking asshole um sure. suffice to say they should have talked to paul about this but they don't that to me is pretty cut and dry that like they're really fucking around with paul really hard now now they're entering into an area where they're gonna get sued like, i don't know yeah. what they thought was gonna happen yeah well this is just this is antagonistic behavior yeah you can't treat one of the partners like that yeah so as we said they wrote paul a memo about the date switch <laughs> i love how bitchy john can be in letter format though i love it <laughs> Paul can be too. Oh, for sure. They're for both. Sure. They're both very talented. I, I mean, the limping dog of a news story is pretty classic. Oh yeah, Paul is a poet. Forget about it. I mean, he's <laughs> he, he's amazing with the turn of phrase. Yeah, I, I just like I. You know, Paul is always called passive aggressive, which he is. You know, but John could be well, passive sure. aggressive for sure. For sure. Oh, completely maybe that's why it flies under the radar it's so petty that it's aggressive aggressive well no subtlety uh, yes well and people always characterize john as just aggressive like oh well you got to respect him he's just direct mm -hmm. like is he is he direct well, but uh, but i'm saying like just because your passive aggressive bitchiness crosses a line into psychosis doesn't mean that it's upfront and cool true if you want to be direct say this to his face mm, yeah don't fucking write an inter-office memo and then have right. like a messenger deliver it mm -hmm. john is the absolute king of getting people to fight his battles for him you're so brave why don't you show your fucking ass up in court bitch Ooh, they just didn't show up they just sent written affidavits yep okay wow like i guess they couldn't be bothered and they could they didn't go look paul in the face yeah presumably paul didn't have to be present either no but no he, he didn't but have he was to. Yeah. yeah he was yeah well that's a point i've never heard anyone make that's why you tune into ACOM. That's right. Well, that's why I tune into ACOM for sure. <laughs> so let's take a look at that memo that John and George wrote. Uh, since they both signed it, it's unclear who the actual author is. My guess would be that, like the EMI letter, it's authored and orchestrated by John and co-signed by George, but that's just my opinion. Maybe they actually sat down at a table and, like, drafted it together but i doubt it i mean george wrote at least one line that we'll talk about <laughs> yes he added his his two cents at the bottom yeah <laughs> so the memo says dear paul we thought a lot about yours and the beatles lps and decided it's stupid for apple to put out two big albums within seven days of each other bracket also there's ringo's and hey jude 
So we sent a letter to EMI telling them to hold your release date till June 4th. There's a big Apple Capital convention in Hawaii then. We thought you'd come around when you realized that the Beatles album was coming out on April 24th. We're sorry it turned out like this. It's nothing personal. Love, John and George. Hari Krishna, a mantra a day keeps Maya away. <laughs> Can I jump in and say, first of all, we're sorry it turned out like this? Okay. Why would you even say that if you don't know? If you don't feel sorry? If, you, if you're not aware that you're doing something fucked up. We're sorry it turned out like this. And then to say it's nothing personal. I have actually seen people go, well, they said it's nothing personal, so it's obviously not personal. <laughs> it's just business. It's like saying, I'm not racist, but... I mean, there's no reason to say it's right. nothing personal. Yeah. Unless it's definitely fucking personal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a... it's a. They're protesting too much. We no. thought a lot. We thought a lot. At least they thought about it a lot. But we thought about it a lot, but we didn't feel fit to consult you about it because yeah why because because you're a coward and you don't want to have the argument or because because you're actively trying to antagonize yeah okay and also let me preface this by saying i am not well read on hinduism and i usually try to avoid commenting on george george's spirituality full stop <laughs> okay but what the fuck is this keep Maya away bullshit? From my admittedly cursory understanding, Maya in Hinduism is the destructive influence of materialism, like the illusion of the importance of wealth and status, etc. Hmm. But isn't the whole point of delaying the McCartney release to increase the Beatles' wealth? Mm. <laughs> what is George smoking when he gets high and mighty like this? Like, is he being ironic? Is he aware oh my God. of the hypocrisy? And he's kind of, <laughs> or is he not being ironic? He's like, Paul, you need to keep your Maya in check <laughs> <laughs> and let our Maya run the That's show right. right now. Don't be upset about this because that would be Maya for you too to be upset about this it's not maya for us to do it wow anyway that is some next level bullshit i, I mean <sighs> you know if i'm a big george fan i would go oh that george he's hilarious that's like um you'll stay on the fucking label hari krishna right. yeah yeah oh that's fucking hilarious well oh george he's sending himself up i get yeah i guess Li okay anyways so they sealed this memo in an envelope and wrote from us to you on it. And they left it at Apple's reception for a messenger to deliver it to Paul's house. However, <laughs> which again, wasn't passive aggressive at all. Very direct, straight shooter. <laughs> However, as Ringo later explained, I didn't think it fair some office lad should take something like that around. So he decided to personally deliver it. So in my opinion, calling it something like that implies that Ringo knew it was a shitty thing. Mm -hmm. and that's just my interpretation. Maybe that's not what he meant. Maybe he meant something important like that. 
Yeah, I'm sure they sent memos about important, neutrally important things all the time. Via messenger. Like, why would you? Sure. We, you don't have to personally deliver, you know, no. mail. No, no, no. Well, unsurprisingly, Paul does not take this well. Here is Paul's <laughs> version from Anthology. Ringo came to see me. He was sent, I believe, being mild-mannered and the nice guy, by the others because of the dispute. So Ringo arrived at the house, and I must say I gave him a bit of a verbal. I said, you guys are just messing me around. He said, no, well, on behalf of the board and on behalf of the Beatles and so-and-so, we think you should do this, etc. And I was just fed up with that. It was the only time I ever told anyone to get out. It was fairly hostile. But things had got like that by this time. It hadn't actually come to blows, but it was near enough. Unfortunately, it was Ringo. I mean, he was probably the least to blame of any of them. But he was the fall guy who got sent round to ask me to change the dates. And he probably thought, well, Paul will do it. But he met a different character because now I was definitely boycotting Apple. Boycotting. Mm. That is so funny. Ringo's version, which he submitted to the court via affidavit in 1971, is consistent with Paul's. He writes, I went to see Paul. To my dismay, he went completely out of control, shouting at me, prodding his fingers towards my face, saying, I'll finish you now and you'll pay. He told me to put my coat on and get out. I did so. <laughs> you need to get out but first be sure to put that coat on it's like such a weird bit of british politeness right i said good day <laughs> that's right it's like incongruously leaking out i do say good man put your coat on fuck you and i hate your guts hey ringo suck my dick don't forget your scarf <laughs> Well, and I also like uh, in Paul's version, he goes, you guys are just messing me around. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> Paul, come on. You <laughs> didn't say like you motherfuckers are trying to fuck me because that sounds like more like something you would say rather than fellas, stop messing me around. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll finish you and you'll pay. There we go. So this was a pretty clear case of shoot the messenger. <laughs> Although I do think Paul is hurt and angry at Ringo too, because Ringo doesn't hand him the letter and say, yo, Paul, I think this is fucked up, but it's out of my hands, man. John is out of control. Things are going mad at Apple. You know, I'm just the messenger, man. He yeah. didn't say any of that. Ringo was on team Lennison. <laughs> he, and he was trying to be the enforcer. I mean, the yeah. gentle enforcer, but. Right. The uh, de-escalating enforcer, but still yeah like sounds like paul flipped his shit yeah and i can understand why saying like i'll finish you like you're done i'm gonna i'm gonna break you or you know whatever that kind of stuff is like okay calm the fuck down paul sure you don't have to sound like a megalomaniacal <laughs> villain <laughs> like, right yeah i'll end yeah. you like that's pretty like you don't say that to your friends no exactly exactly you say that when you go oh you want to fuck me oh let's see you want to play hardball <laughs> true yeah. yeah but I paul gotta... has a temper we know paul has a temper well a paul's pushed into a corner now so it's no mm -hmm. surprise that he that he's lashing out like that but yeah. also like 
and I say this with no offense to Ringo, but Ringo Starr now gets to show up at Paul's house and inform him when he can and cannot release his own record on his own record label. You got to be fucking joking. Like, that is a joke. I mean, imagine Ringo had showed up at John's house and handed John a note from Paul saying, Hey, John, we we moved your LP. Hope you understand. Nothing personal. We didn't want your dick to get in the way of the White Album sales. Seriously. Ringo was very upset by this. This was probably the first time he'd ever felt the full fury of Paul's wrath. And like we said, the words you'll pay and I'll finish you are pretty fucked up things to say. (laughs) So Ringo goes back to Apple, explains what happened, and John and George back off. And they change both releases back to their original dates. Paul said in many years from now, they eventually sent Ringo round to my house at Cavendish with a message. We want you to put your release date back. It's for the good of the group and all this sort of shit. And he was giving me the party line. They just made him come around. So I did something I'd never done before or since. I told him to get out. I had to do something like that in order to assert myself because I was just sinking. Linda was very helpful. She said, look, you don't have to take this crap. You're a grown man. You have every bit as much right. I was getting pummeled about the head, in my mind anyway. Yeah. You're a grown man, and they're playing little schoolboy bitch games. This was flagrantly aggressive, and in my opinion, the intention was to corner Paul and provoke him. Fortunately for Paul, the law doesn't give a shit about which Beatle was coolest And so John's charisma was useless in court. (laughs) Unfortunately, this confrontation did upset the Ringo-Paul relationship, at least temporarily. We can't say if it had long-term effects on either side. Well, yeah, because a year later, Ringo's saying, I really love Paul and crying in front of Klein and a reporter. So it's not a one-sided situation where Ringo believes he was innocent and Paul was in the wrong for yelling at him. I think that they're both hurt and they both feel bad about their own behavior. Sure. Just because we don't have a quote from Ringo saying, I get it. I understand where Paul was coming from. It was still hurtful. Which is basically what Paul says. He's like, listen, I I know that, that Ringo was thrown to the wolves there but Mm -hmm. this is my point of view right yeah and and from Ringo's point of view if this was the first time that Paul had ever gone off on him to that extent I mean who knows maybe he shows up and Paul's in a five-day-old sweater and his beard's everywhere and he goes nutso and says uncharacteristic things you know maybe Ringo thought that is not like him something something's going on so maybe he he gave Paul a little you know a little leeway maybe he was a little worried maybe it worried him in addition to hurting him you know what i mean yeah yeah we mentioned in the last episode i think paul thinking oh evil john has come out you know right so yeah. maybe ringo's like oh psycho paul has shown up now so. <laughs> sure you know like oh my god paul mccartney is also capable of having a temper and raging of mm-hmm. course he is yeah uh, Philip Norman, in his Paul bio, 
writes that Paul also called the office after Ringo left and screamed at George <laughs> for whatever. Oh, okay. Yeah. Most books don't mention that, but it's in the Norman book. George said Paul was screaming so loud I had to like take the receiver off of my ear or something like that. You know, sure. like you could hold up the receiver and you could hear him screaming. Woo. Yeah. I guess he, he said, if you're going to break me, I'm going to bring you down with me or so, something like that. Oh, well, that makes more sense than I'll finish you. It makes more sense for him to say, if I'm going down, you're going to come with-, with me. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what was the point of this maneuver? Uh, setting aside the like but it would be jeepers it would be fantastic if we could do a multimedia you know blitz putting that aside i'm talking about like the maneuver meaning doing it the way that they did right my mind it is boggled yeah that's something you do when you're already in divorce proceedings that's something you do when someone has already left the company Dear Paul, we found um, uh, your final paycheck and uh, we weren't able to contact you. So we're going to go ahead and direct deposit it. If you yes. want it someplace else, please contact Shirley in the front office. <laughs> That's exactly right. The, Making uh, it so imp- impersonal is what makes it personal. Was it just to flex on Paul, like flex their power to intimidate him? Yes. But to what end? Is John just swinging his dick around to... To be a dick? To be a dick. Yeah, like, is he just doing it? Because he's mad. I guess that's always a possibility that he's just... This is, I guess, what the question is. Like, is there a purpose to it? Or is John just doing it just to jerk off to the power trip? Like, is he just doing it because he can? Like, Mm. you know, is it a difference of, like, just pushing a kid down the slide just to be an asshole or because you're mad at that kid mm-hmm. and I, I mean i think john is capable of either i mean i think he could That's be true nasty just for nastiness sake but uh but yeah. also he's in a very intense a very emotional very personal standoff with paul right now and paul's been ignoring him which i just i can't imagine that being ignored doesn't set john's fucking hair on fire oh it absolutely does john will take negative attention over being ignored any day of the week yes no it's his it's a huge trigger for him that's what mimi would do when she was angry at him she'd give him the silent treatment oh i can see that yeah yeah i hated it and maybe that's part of why paul is doing it if he's really hurt by John and he's looking to get his own back a little bit. Then he's like, hey, John, why don't you fucking sit and stew about it for a while? Yeah. Yeah. I know this will drive you crazy. Yeah. You know and... what I'm sick of? I'm sick of fucking sitting around and trying to figure out what you're thinking. How about you do that mm. for a while? Yeah. So that leaves the question. Was it passive aggressive or just aggressive aggressive? it's somehow both it's so passive aggressive <laughs> that it's aggressive i feel like actually writing to emi and moving the date is aggressive but the the, the note is passive aggressive <laughs> yeah yeah 
So as Paul has stated many times, he was not in a good headspace in April 1970. <laughs> For many understandable reasons, many of Correct. which we've just gone over. And he did not feel capable of doing press for McCartney. He couldn't face questions about the Beatles. He says in many years from now, I didn't want to do a press conference to release that album because every time I'd meet a journalist, they would always floored me with one question. They'd say, are you happy? And it almost made me cry. I just could not say, yes, I'm happy and lie through my teeth. So I stopped doing interviews. So he asked Peter Brown to write him up a list of questions that he could answer for the press kit. Um, again, in many years from now, Paul says that Peter Brown talked to him about what kind of publicity he wanted to do. Paul said, there's no way I'm doing a press conference or anything. Peter Brown said, well, you've got to do something or no one's going to know the album's out. So Peter Brown suggested a questionnaire and Paul agreed. And Peter wrote the questions. This is paul mccartney's account in many years from now which peter brown is free to dispute if he thinks that that's not the truth um <laughs> i say that because this is often referred to as a self-interview i checked brown's book the love you make published in 1983 and in that book the questionnaire is referred to as a self-interview with paul writing the questions and answers himself and maybe the truth lies somewhere in the middle exactly we suspect that there was an original questionnaire from peter brown but that it was likely <laughs> edited liberally by paul <laughs> <laughs> yeah liberally and strategically so this is the remainder of mccartney's account from many years from now published in 1997 i said okay look you write some questions that you think the press wants to know send them over to me i'll fill it out but i can't face a press conference so the questionnaire came and Peter Brown realized that the big question was the Beatles. So he put in a couple of loaded questions. And rather than just say, I don't want to answer these, I thought, fuck it. If that's what he wants to know, I'll tell him. I felt I'd never be able to start a new life until I'd told people. That quote to me, I didn't think I'd be able to start a new life until I told people. So to me, that does kind of support the fact that Paul knew that this was going to be construed as I quit the Beatles. Mm -hmm. I mean, I am, I will always go to bat for him and say, listen, there is nothing in that press release that says I've quit the Beatles or that the Beatles are over. But right. he telegraphs all throughout this questionnaire. That he is for fucking sure. done. Like emotionally, he is done. <laughs> And for sure. he wants nothing to do with those motherfuckers anymore. Yeah. So, you know, I'm of two minds on that. I mean, on the other hand, he did literally say the Beatle thing is over back in November, in November. And no one, in Life magazine and no one ran with it. So I don't I don't think he assumed that it would be picked up on the way it was if that hadn't been but well well he can't read the minds of the press you know i mean he doesn't exactly there's, there's no way that he's gonna know for sure how it's gonna go off but i i to me i kind of feel like he's like well let's let the chips fall where they may yes yeah <laughs> so that maybe falls into a gray area i i would agree yeah like i don't think it's quite as of orchestrated as you know like as the skeptics i don't think it's that orchestrated but i do think it's pretty reckless let's put it that way i would say yes he is not trying to 
act like the band is still together. We're going to go through that insert now and parse out what we feel are the most significant portions. For the sake of time, we're largely going to skip over the technical questions about the making of the album and focus on the questions that address the Beatles and or Paul's state of mind regarding his life and future. Question. Are all songs by Paul McCartney alone? Answer. Yes, sir. <laughs> Will they be so credited? McCartney? Answer. It's a bit daft for them to be Lennon McCartney credited. So McCartney it is. <laughs> okay. Daft, you say? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that definitely sounds like he's throwing John's words back in his face a little. That could be. Could be. Which, fair enough question did you enjoy working as a solo answer very much i only had me to ask for a decision and i agreed with me <laughs> remember linda's on it too so it's really a double act what no, is it's linda's? Not, no it's not <laughs> it's uh, not honey uh, it's not a double act. Uh, no. if you think like paul mccartney on music linda on pictures then yes yeah as a photographer and a musician yeah yes right of course and backup what is linda's contribution strictly speaking (laughs) accurately speaking (laughs) strictly speaking she harmonizes but of course it's more than that because she's a shoulder to lean on a second opinion and a photographer of renown more than all this she believes in me constantly yeah so full-on social media post finally i'm with someone who really appreciates me (laughs) yeah i mean (laughs) yeah if you if you read that i mean if i'm john i would read that as passive aggressive like i'm with someone who believes in me oh and it feels fucking great Mm -hmm. than to be constantly second guessed and and chipped away at and insulted like some people who don't support me or love me properly Mm -hmm. but you know if you're taking john out of the equation it's just so sweet this this, yeah well it's just true photographer of renown that's so cute that's very sweet and true true i love it when he champions her like i wish he did Mm -hmm. it more actually yeah and he says but of course it's more than that I mean, I think she is instrumental. No pro intended. I think she is instrumental in, like, <laughs> you know, inspiring him. Not yeah. just the specific songs, but, like, inspiring him to get back up and to find himself and to forge ahead. Mm-hmm. As we've talked about, you know. Absolutely. Question. The album was not known about until it was nearly completed. Was this deliberate? Yes, because normally an album is old before it even comes out. Witness, get back. <laughs> is he just like, is he just saying that because it's true or is he like throwing shade? Yeah, hard to say. Uh, yeah, I think it's just kind of like, because I don't think this is a bee in Paul's bonnet. Like he's really upset about. I agree. I think he's just like, unlike that fucking shit show right whatever is going yeah. on with that i don't know they've moved the date fucking 15 times and we have a reproducer and i don't even know sure question are you able to describe the texture or the feel of the album in a few words answer home family love yeah that's that's paul now 
yeah, that's that's his mission statement. Paul's version of John's I was the dream weaver, but now I'm reborn statement. I was the pussy monger and now I'm reborn <laughs> as a family man. I am now a decent one woman man and a dad. Yeah. <laughs> oh, if these walls could speak, but that's all over now. John is reborn as truth teller, peace activist, and Paul's reborn as like wholesome family man. Yep, that's that's an interesting contrast. I mean, you know, I push back on the wholesome part. Like, I don't think he really was pushing himself as wholesome at all. The dad thing is for real. Yes, and like, was transformative. Yeah, and the fit like being a family man is a hundred percent sincere and real mm-hmm. to him. I think that at least that generation of hipsters or whatever they associate having a family or or having kids or whatever with being square and trying to be normie and normie which i don't think paul does i think paul's just like whatever you know like that's your issue yeah i want a warm loving secure home how did that become a conservative value family and home are not the provinces of conservatism that whole idea is fundamentalist propaganda yes just saying if there if there is something wholesome in paul it is his 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 dad his dadhood but that's never changed he's always that's never changed he's always been the guy who loved children and who played with the kids and read to them and and wrote granny music and loved old people and would sit and talk to your grandma for an hour or whatever mm-hmm. like that's nothing about him has really changed there except that he's owning it now and he's not not that he was embarrassed before but like but that he's like waving a flag about it now he's like fuck you that's who i am and sure that's what i'm gonna be now i'll put my baby in the jacket on the album cover because yeah i don't care yeah and it's not like he is no longer doing drugs and writing slutty songs exactly he does that he does that till the end of time he's still writing slutty songs he's still i know he's still if you ask him like what's the best thing in life he's still gonna say sex drugs and rock and roll it's like he doesn't he doesn't change his mind on any of those things he's just also a dad (laughs) he also adds babies into the mix yeah one doesn't put the lie to the other well and also i think parenting is changing the the 70s were definitely a time where things in parenting changed Mm -hmm. um breastfeeding came back in like breastfeeding was not they told you not to breastfeed in the 60s and they were like formula is the way to go you know so um like attachment parenting co-sleeping breastfeeding you know not hitting your kids like all that stuff is kind (laughs) of new in the 70s i'm serious though like it is it's a you know it's a different whole different approach and like paul's more part of that yes exactly children about sex right cute dad paul yeah okay question why did you do all the instruments yourself answer i think i'm pretty good (laughs) i i like hearing him say something positive about himself because we know he feels like shit it's true and he feels like he's nothing right now so yeah for him to say i think i'm pretty good like good for you paul you are you are good he is good yeah you might be tempted to read that as sort of false modesty like humble bragging and maybe it is or since he's been feeling like crap for 
the past six months. Maybe it's just, it just is what it is. Yeah. Question. Will Paul and Linda become a John and Yoko? Answer, no. <laughs> they will become Paul and Linda. Mm. <laughs> it's just that that's just an obnoxious question i mean the comparison's inevitable but it sucks that they will just forever be compared i know and you know if you think of of paul and john as exes which they are then it's awful to be constantly asked about your ex for the rest of your life with your new partner beside you by the way yeah you know even if they were just bros who work together that's annoying it's rude it's it's insulting if you do a creative thing with a person and then you're done and you don't work with them anymore stop asking yeah (laughs) about that person it's rude i mean i don't i don't know that that's what strikes me as rude so much it's it's the Will they become a John and Yoko? Like making Paul and Linda's relationship about somebody else. Yes, like he's going to be like, oh yes, hopefully. Hopefully we'll evolve into a John and Yoko point two. That's exactly exactly what we want. Exactly. Yes. I mean, honestly, the, the fairer question would be, will Paul and Linda become the new Paul and John? If you want to decide that that has some sort of meaning it's not that paul is trying to make linda into yoko he's trying to make her into john if anything like that's also sort of an insulting and reductive way to put it i'm just saying but it's a better parallel you're saying right yeah 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 yeah. next question what has recording alone taught you answer that to make your own decisions about what you do is easy and playing with yourself is very difficult but satisfying (laughs) okay that's what she said (laughs) there's no way he didn't go when he said that very difficult but satisfying come on he put a dick joke in by accident i don't know about that mr dick joke no no there's no way (laughs) masturbating without your friends around you (laughs) is lonely but you know you can get there quicker (laughs) (laughs) double entendre aside what is he saying here no so he's saying it's challenging but you know there's zero conflict with myself so it's very rewarding in that regard i mean we know he likes to work alone yeah he definitely has his moments of being an auteur yeah for sure you know he he did it on three different albums and they're all yeah. great yeah yeah well and also chaos and creation yeah mostly yeah 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 he loves to be a little studio boffin and fuck around with his test tubes and <laughs> <laughs> drums in the toilet and all that stuff there there are definitely some questions in here that i'm like ah eh, paul paul wrote a couple of these i don't think peter brown wrote who did the artwork for your album that sounds like paul yeah Yeah. paul wrote that in the margins who has done the artwork well (laughs) let me take this opportunity to tell you about my beautiful and talented wife yes yes 
And he's always been really interested in the visual arts. He loves that stuff. He loves doing album art. Yes, he's a frustrated filmmaker and yeah, well, a, a lifelong photographer. So yeah. yes, he met somebody who excels in something that he's interested mm -hmm. in. Yeah. yeah. That's exciting. It is. So he answers. Linda has taken all the photos and she and I designed the package. Oh, collaboration. Yes. <laughs> okay. Right. Question. Is it true that neither Alan Klein nor Abco have been nor will be in any way involved with the production, manufacturing, distribution, or promotion <laughs> of this new album? <laughs> Answer. Not if I can help it. Boom! Yeah. That's, again, that's another, that's another Paul question. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm a little skeptical that Peter Brown wrote that up in the questionnaire. Agree. <laughs> Is it true that? And then he <laughs> continues to write a question that sounds like it's exactly in Paul's words to Paul's yes. specification. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Paul wants to make that known. Mm -hmm. that, that is on the record. Yeah, like a reporter would say, is it true that Alan Klein doesn't represent you? Or is it true that you are fighting with the Beatles over Alan Klein's representation? They would mm -hmm. never phrase it like this. <laughs> yes. Neither Alan Klein nor Abco have been nor will be in any way involved. Any way. <laughs> it's like an affidavit randomly in the middle of this press release. Okay. Question. Did you miss the other Beatles and George Martin? Was there a moment when you thought, I wish Ringo were here for this break? Answer. No. Whoa. what the fuck so okay. i'm thinking maybe paul's still a little mad at ringo that's what i think well i mean and this is probably like two or three days after that confrontation with ringo at his house mm -hmm. so that's you know context here <laughs> absolutely like yeah. he's probably still a little hot about that for sure yeah i mean paul is pretty forgiving overall but i don't think he gets over things quickly i think mm. he stews. i think he stews well i agree with you i think he's actually a slow burn yes and on the other side of that i think he probably takes a little while to cool off too mm -hmm. yeah but he will eventually let it go well i think he's let go of this tip with ringo absolutely yeah uh, alan klein maybe not so much no well that's yeah, a safe, think... that's a safe place to put his all of his anger and resentment definitely definitely but here's the weird thing is uh, okay so this one i could see being written by peter brown because sure why why did he single out ringo i'm assuming because he's like well you know he, ringo is the least to like the the, the, the most low conflict relationship we got here yeah. is paul and ringo so he so that was a that was like an easy question but maybe he wrote that before <laughs> before this uh alter yeah. altercation or he didn't hear about it or he doesn't Peter know Brown. about it or whatever yeah well yeah so maybe it's an innocent question but why george martin that was that's kind of weird and that was another reason why well, I, my initial reaction is like ouch because it's not as if paul goes george he's cool i got no problem with george martin ringo hmm get back to me on that one well, I 
think it makes sense because Paul is not only taking, I mean, this is kind of obvious. He's not only doing all the instruments, he's also producing. Producing himself. Yeah. Yeah. Nope. I can drum and I can produce. Next question. Yeah. But even seeing it from Paul's point of view, which is fair, yada, yada, it still comes off as bitchy. (laughs) Of course. Yeah, it's bitchy. It's a little gratuitous. Even if Peter Brown wrote it, well, that's the thing is he could have just put a big X through this question. He, like, he could have sure. skipped it and he did not. Since you asked, no, yeah. I don't want to be them. very <laughs> clear. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Okay, so question. Assuming this is a very big hit album, will you do another? Answer. Even if it isn't, I will continue to do what I want when I want to. Boom. This is the guiding mantra of my life. All in a nutshell. I love that so much. That is one of my all-time favorite quotes from Paul. And granted, this is not an attitude that's great to apply across the board to your personal life, especially. (laughs) But artistically, it has been his North Star, and it's kept him going and kept him true to himself as an artist. Yeah, obviously, if you or become a sociopath you know (laughs) you just don't care what anybody how anyone else's life is affected by anything you do obviously that's not good but uh... but i like how he specifically says even if this isn't a hit it's what i wanted to do and i'm gonna keep doing what i want yes yes i love that so much too that whole sentence is just amazing and not to turn this into the paul mccartney hour you know That is what makes him, in my mind, such a fantastic artist because he just does what he wants to do. Mm -hmm. Next. Are you (laughs) planning a new album or single with the Beatles? Answer, no. Okay, then. Okay. (laughs) I guess there's nothing to say. (laughs) (laughs) It kind of says it all. Is this album a rest away from the Beatles or the start of a solo career? Answer, time will tell. Being a solo album means it's the start of a solo career, and not being done with the Beatles means it's just a rest. So it's both. The Beatles thing is not over, but also solo Paul is just beginning. You read between the lines. Yeah, it's both. It's a rest away from the Beatles and it's the start of a solo career. Why are you, what? Those two things are not opposite. Mutually exclusive. Yeah. What are you fucking talking about? It's a stupid question. <laughs> so I'm going to be an asshole and I'm going to just like pick apart your question rather than answer yeah. the way that you want yeah. me to answer. But the next question is the same question. Uh, it goes <laughs> yeah. Slightly different. <laughs> Interesting, interesting, Mr. McCartney. So let me ask you something else. (laughs) Is your break with the Beatles temporary or permanent due to personal differences or musical ones? Answer. (laughs) Personal differences, business differences, musical differences, but most of all because I have a better time with my family. Temporary or permanent? I don't really know. okay well that's yeah, that's, uh, that's fair self-explanatory i think so i don't think that is fair 
Well, and he's absolutely admitting that it's a break. Uh, and it's not a break from, like, it's not like, ooh, time for my 15-minute break. It's, is your break with the Beatles? Mm. And he's he's not disputing that. He says, yeah, there's definitely a break going on. I don't know. Maybe we'll patch it up or maybe we won't. Mm. I don't know yet. Mm. Well, you could interpret that as taking a break, like a rest. But it doesn't say, is your break from the Beatles? It says, is your break with the Beatles? Meaning, I think, like, have you broken with the Beatles due to this or that? It's actually um, a little bit of a Britishism. Oh, a break with. I have broke with yeah like your your break your break with jane asher yes doesn't mean you're taking a break it means you have broken right yeah exactly so are you saying that maybe peter didn't write that one maybe paul wrote that one oh well i i don't know yeah i could go either way on that one i'm just saying well the question is asked is is assuming there's some sort of breakup some sort of fracture yeah and paul is essentially saying yeah yeah but whether it's temporary or permanent right we have might not last might not last but there's definitely a fracture the what's interesting is he goes i don't really know which means i mean i you could take that to mean like well i don't know where they stand Mm -hmm. (laughs) i know where i stand (laughs) Uh, you know what i mean right uh well i guess that's fair question do you foresee a time when Lennon-McCartney becomes an active songwriting partnership again? Answer, no. But that's fair. Totally. Oh, it's totally fair. It's just ouchy. If you think that John has any glimmer of hope that the, that it might, if not now, but sometime in the future, be resumed. Mm-hmm. But, but if you believe John had fully checked out long ago, it's just a neutral matter of fact. John told me six months ago that Lennon McCartney was a myth. Paul's like, no, I don't see that happening. Next question. What do you feel about John's peace effort? The Plastigono band? Giving back the MBE? Yoko's influence? Yoko? (laughs) Answer. I love John and respect what he does. It doesn't really give me any pleasure. Again, that's fair. That, That Yeah i love and respect him but it's not for me it's not for me yeah i mean that's the fairest thing you can say when you don't like something is like oh this it's not for me yeah is this maybe a little gratuitous just to include it like well the part the part that's really like it would be one thing to say what do you feel about john's peace effort the plastic on a band and or giving back the mbe like that's kind of one question fine but like adding Yoko's influence in Yoko, like first of all, Yoko yeah. is a human being. She's not like, what do you think of of John's acquisition of Yoko? Like it's <laughs> sort of fucked up way to ask it. It is, it's very much so. Yeah. Not to mention like the the question of how do you feel about Yoko's influence on John? That's a huge, loaded question. Oh yeah, I mean books could be written right so you can't just throw that in with like his peace yeah. antics <laughs> i mean i think this is just sort of a list of most uh controversial and talked about yeah um, aspects of john lennon 
at the moment. Basically, which is something that the press would ask him every time they had exactly. an interview with him. So like, what sure. do you think of John's, you know, whatever, whatever. As issued statements go, I love John. I respect him. But this isn't really for me is is yeah. the best thing that he could say. Yeah. I mean, I think that's actually one of the best moments of this Q&A. Well, it's certainly honest. And if we value honesty, then we should value this. If John is being a truth teller, regardless of if, of if it hurts people's feelings and that's good, then that's what Paul's doing. The one thing Paul's not doing is equivocating on a lot of this stuff. He's just saying no. Yeah. Do you yeah. foresee a time when you're going to write with John again? No. Did you miss mm-hmm. Ringo? Do you would you like him to be here? No. Are you planning something with the Beatles? No. Paul always gets attacked for like hemming and hawing and adding more and rambling and whatever. So mm. now he's just like, <laughs> no. If the answer is no, I'm just gonna say no. I don't. Yeah. Massage the answer into something that it, you know softens the blow. It's just no. And why should that bluntness be honesty and courage when John does it, but pettiness and ego when Paul does it? Hmm. I think what he might be telegraphing to the other Beatles is I am not desperate for the Beatles to continue. Well, and also I'm not the PR man anymore you yeah. know what i mean like i'm not i'm not doing the tap dance anymore you yeah. guys want to tap dance you tap dance i don't care yeah. okay what is your relationship with klein answer it isn't i am not in contact with him and he does not represent me in any way mm. all caps on the any right <laughs> <laughs> i mean again he's pretty much already answered this question yeah but but we're put we're putting an underline on it this is like the obvious basic alan klein question so maybe this was the original klein question from peter brown which paul then expanded <laughs> into the neither alan klein nor apco have been nor will be quote-unquote question that we read earlier <laughs> good for you paul yes go off you. good for sure. And also get it on the public record. That's smart. Yes. Yeah, right. So if people read this, they can quickly see what the problem is. Mm-hmm. Although I would read this and go, mm, there's some personal shit going on too. <laughs> like I would definitely read it as like mm, business and personal. Absolutely. Which it is. Which it is. Yeah. Yep. What is your relationship with Apple? Answer. <sighs> It is the office of a company, which I part own with the other three Beatles. I don't go there because I don't like offices or business, especially when I am on holiday. So you're on holiday? (laughs) Okay. Okay. Actually, in 50 years, you'll say you were boycotting Apple at the time. Well, and also, like, (laughs) nobody asks why you're not there all the time. Right. (laughs) I know. That was unnecessary. (laughs) Probably should have crossed off that line. Yeah. I, I do love this answer. It is the office of a company, which I part own with yeah. the other three Beatles. I'm pretty sure everyone knows that. Yeah, but it's it's good to remind them that. I mean, like that, ah. again, he's asserting himself. He's like, yeah. I'm part I... owner, by the way, with the other three mm-hmm. Beatles and not Alan Klein. And mm-hmm. also, like, none of the Beatles own any more of Apple than I do. Yeah. 
have you any plans to set up an independent production company? Answer, McCartney Productions. Hmm, that one, I don't know if Peter Brown asked that or Paul asked himself so he could put it out there. Uh, it seems more like a Paul question to me. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. I mean, maybe they would ask him that, but why would they ask? No, like a reporter wouldn't ask that unless they had no. caught, they know already. Exactly, <laughs> exactly, yep. And by the way, Mc, you know, MPL, McCartney Productions, has already been established by that point, at least in name. We'll explore that but, a little bit later. Yeah, and maybe, but maybe this is a little like, you know what? I don't need Apple. I own it, but I don't need it. Well, what he's saying is McCartney solo career is not going to be run by apple right i mean i think that's what he's that's what he's putting out there yeah he's like over my dead fucking body is alan klein gonna touch anything i do solo yeah so we're about to have problems guys we are about Mm -hmm. to have some problems yep Uh, next question next question last question what are your plans now a holiday a musical a movie retirement (laughs) answer (laughs) yes i'm gonna retire no (laughs) answer my only plan is to grow up with an exclamation point yes my only plan is to grow up exclamation point okay (laughs) that one always puzzled me like i I didn't really know what that meant Uh um and I've I've read it in Beatles books. Like somebody pulled it out as being like super nasty. Like oh, and then he ended the questionnaire with this, which I what? I totally didn't understand. I was like, I don't. What's nasty about like weird? Yes, I don't think it's directed at the other Beatles or anything. I mean, he's talking about himself. No. I guess if anything, I think maybe it's a reference to starting a family away from mm-hmm. the Beatles. But right otherwise he's just he's talking about himself growing up so how's that nasty anybody yeah and then i heard him say this in a 1989 interview with bobby rivers for vh1 what's been the most driving force in your life paul driving force in my life Hmm. i don't really know it's kind of i don't know i call it growing up or something i don't know really just honesty honesty uh hopefully all right so in that context well it's still a weird thing to say you know what i mean but sure but it it shed a little bit of light on what he means by that phrase you know Uh and he said like i call it growing up so connecting that to what he says in 1970 i think growing up is paul's weird quirky only makes Mm -hmm. sense to him kind of way of saying like you know self-discovery or sure living your true honest self like finding out who you are you know like Mm -hmm. you're self-actualizing right yeah trying to improve yeah and that's what he plans to do now that the beatles are done he's he's by growing up he means i plan to just you know become the my full person and you know discover who i really am as an artist and a human being yeah I mean, I could, I guess I can kind of see how people might think it's insulting to the other Beatles. Like, I'm ready to grow up, unlike those other babies who are still clinging to the Beatles or whatever. 
but I, nobody thinks that nobody that's, thinks, girl, that's yeah. yeah that's that's going pretty far anyway that kind of solved that mystery for me yeah i call it i call it growing up i would call it a red square with a dash of blue and a green polka dot <laughs> yeah, right. in the top left corner but that would make even less sense to you so <laughs> growing up sure So, the press copy of the McCartney album and the mm -hmm. full questionnaire, you know, officially arrive on everybody's news desks, so to speak, on April 10th. However, on April 9th, the day before, rumors apparently started circulating that Paul McCartney was leaving the group. Mavis Smith, assistant to Derek Taylor, issued a statement telling everyone to calm down <laughs> calm down and also on this day in history <laughs> paul called john at arthur janov's london clinic i mean which i guess is as good a place as any <laughs> to receive a call like this <laughs> like with your therapist in the other room hey if i mean if that you know. therapist is actually helpful if you're gonna break your ankle might as well do it in the hospital. <laughs> All right. So Paul calls John to give him a little heads up. Uh, now, we don't obviously know the tone or mood of their conversation. We do not have a tape. <laughs> we have to rely on Paul and John's versions, meaning what they've said publicly, which I think we, it's safe to assume that on both sides are a little self-serving oh sure i'm not saying they're dishonest yeah i'm not saying they're dishonest just that both of these accounts that we're going to share are in the midst of their pr war so you know grain of salt there right yeah. the other thing that i think it's important to bear in mind is that this phone call happens under the most high stress circumstances imaginable, right? Mm. John tells a story and Lennon remembers like it's nothing, like it's just any other day, you know, no big deal. <laughs> I was just chilling at the therapist's office <laughs> and I got this call from Paul, who I haven't spoken to in six months. Mm -hmm. um, and by the way, this is just a couple of days after the blow up with Ringo over the release date. So. Yeah. It's not going to be an easy breezy conversation. John has been in limbo. I mean, they've both been in limbo really for six months when they finally have this conversation. So I know that like all the Beatleland authors thinks that John's just like too cool for school and, you know, no big deal that he gets this phone call from Paul, but I, I just don't believe that this wasn't an extremely stressful weird conversation well i mean one reality check four years after this john is gonna have a panic attack and lock himself in a room at the moment when he's supposed to be signing the beatles breakup papers so he's he's not neutral about the topic of the beatles uh, right and for the rest of his life he pinpoints this as the moment that everything shattered it's not when he said i want a divorce it's when paul said it to him oh these two 
that's consistent. I mean, he said that over and over again, you know. That that was the thing he never recovered from. Paul yeah. announcing the breakup. And the traditional read of that, of course, is well, John just means stealing the headline. Like that's what shatters John's world and his <laughs> relationship with Paul forever, right? That Paul stole yes. a headline, which John immediately stole back and corrected. Mm-hmm. But we believe it makes sense to look past the headline stealing and a, a bit deeper into what might have hurt John so badly about this incident. And so permanently. So here's what John says in the Lennon Remembers interview. Paul called me in the afternoon of that day and said, I'm doing what you and Yoko were doing last year. I said, good, you know, because that time last year, they were all looking at Yoko and me as if we were strange, trying to make our life together instead of being fab, fat myths. So he rang me up that day and said, I'm doing what you and Yoko are doing. I'm putting out an album and I'm leaving the group too, he said. I said, good. I was feeling a little strange because he was saying it this time, although it was a year later. And I said, good, because he was the one that wanted the Beatles the most. And then the midnight papers came out. Winner asks, how did you feel then? I was cursing because I hadn't done it. I wanted to do it. I should have done it. Oh, damn, shit, what a fool I was. But there were many pressures at that time, I think. Northern songs and all that going on. It would have upset the whole thing if I would have said that. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us how you really feel, Phoebe. We know what is important to John here, right? He says, I said good three different times in like the first the first paragraph like what happened well i said good yeah john you mentioned that three times so what i'm getting is you really feel that it's very important that we understand that you thought it was good that paul was leaving and not bad okay message received got it you thought it was a great idea that paul leave Mm -hmm. all right so it was a it was a relief a blessed relief yes and that you're very you're supportive of him leaving okay sure john (laughs) he finally came around because he pathetically had been clinging but now he was finally facing reality yes he wanted the beatles the most but uh, again i said good did you get that part i just want to make sure you write that many times (laughs) i said good okay okay so we've made what i believe is a pretty solid case over these past four episodes that john absolutely did not want or intend to break the beatles beyond the heat of the moment let's say okay sure and that for the past several months leading up to this was hoping that paul would give him any opening to take it back so so let's just address that point first okay paul calls john on april 9th and tells him he's leaving this is yet another prime Mm -hmm. opportunity for john to steal the headline okay the press is absolutely chomping at the bit right now they're putting out fires currently in apple office so if john called up and said hey i've got a scoop i quit the beatles they would have run that on the evening news 
Like everybody would have picked that up. Like everybody would take his call. Everybody would have run with that. And yet he doesn't do it. Same, same as he doesn't steal the headline after the life article in November. I mean, he doesn't really have time to. He could hang up the phone yeah. and go, fuck, and call right away. He could. He could. But he is, I mean, he is busy. He's in therapy. <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, here, Leonard remembers, he says he wanted to do it, but he couldn't because of Northern Songs. That's his well, excuse. He doesn't say, I, I was going to call, but I was busy <laughs> in therapy. He says, oh, Northern Songs. I just, uh, I missed the, I wanted to do it, and you know? I should have done it, I think, damn shit, what a fool I was. <laughs> but there were many pressures at that time, I think Northern Song, all that was going, it would have upset the whole thing if I just said that. Okay, John, yeah. but like the Northern Songs fight ended but the they're... day before the divorce meeting. But there specifically were, <laughs> were Beatle-related reasons that I couldn't. Girl. Yeah no you didn't even say there were beetle reasons like you could have come up with a better argument than northern mm. songs it's true at least good at least don't insult our intelligence you well, know at this point you could make something up you could actually lie and say as it turns out i had a whole plan and i was gonna announce after let it be but paul threw a monkey wrench into that like he doesn't even he can't mm -hmm. even that doesn't even occur to him <laughs> He's like, but, you know, well, Northern Songs. John, that happened in September. Yes. Again, we, we don't know the tone of this conversation. We didn't hear it, so we don't know. But the thing is, is that Paul calls up and he seems to be trying to be magnanimous, right? Because he says, I'm doing what you and Yoko were doing last year. Which is such like a, a kind and generous way to put it. I think. Well, he's definitely helping John save face. And yes. or, I mean, maybe there's a bit of like, and you can't be mad at me because you started it. Just reminding you, you well, and Yoko. Yes, I agree. On one hand, he's saying, I got to hand it to you, John. You did this first. Courageous. Uh, I'm doing it too now. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I think he is trying to give him credit. But yes, he could also be reminding John that, uh, by the way, honey this is what you wanted okay right. you did it first remember like john pulls out this detail and tells it to london remembers but he's extra nasty about it which is weird paul says i'm doing what you and yoko were doing last year i said good because you know that time last year they were all looking at yoko and me as if we were strange ah, trying to yeah, make a life okay. together instead of being fab fat myths <laughs> So first of all, I'm sorry. Yeah. Did you just call Paul fat? And secondly, like, I don't, I don't know. Nobody thought it was weird that you guys were making a life. I get what John is saying. He's like, well, weren't we just two normal people making an album together? It's like, well, yes, you were. And and Paul's being generous there, and he's saying, hey, you know what? I made an album with my wife, which you did first, John. So hats off to you. I I get it. I see where you're coming mm -hmm. from. You know, congrats for blazing the trail there. Yeah. Good work, John. Yes. But it's like, John, get over yourself. Like, that's not why people were looking at you strange. They were looking at you strange because you were fucking butt naked and because Yoko was howling. Like, stop it. No one was <laughs> no one was looking at you weird because you had a girlfriend. Oh, like because you were in a bag. 
in bed on TV every yeah, day. Because you were doing weird, provocative stuff. Yes, on I'm purpose so to provoke that too. And you, it's, oh. and you provoked. Yes. How dare you be provoked by our provocative stunts? He's like a 14-year-old with a mohawk. Like, why is everybody staring at me? It's like, because you dress that way. Because you want people to stare at you. It's a cry for attention. I love it. It's beautiful. Like, that's what that's yeah. a normal, healthy thing for a 14-year-old to go through. But please stop. Like, you're, you're wearing 50 pounds of chains because you want to look different. Why does everybody treat me like I'm different? Because you're asking them to do that. Take it easy. Oh, my gosh. We know that John's reply was good, and that makes two of us because Paul corroborates it, right? Mm-hmm. And Paul even wrote it in his diary, like for the record, which is interesting. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure that he was in a tizzy, like, what is John going to say when I say this to him? How is he going to react? So it makes sense that he'd write it down. Well, I think he wrote it down to keep his ducks in a row well that could also be you know because he uh, i think paul knows that this might get yeah it's time to start documenting exactly which is sad you know it's kind of sad but it's also good of him to do that it's i mean this is yeah this is the point that we're at you know yeah so um the way John tells the story and Lennon remembers, like he's being all groovy and supportive. Mm-hmm. Paul calls him up at Jeff Clinic and he's like, Oh, hey, Paul, it's been a while. How are you doing? Paul's like, I'm leaving the bin. And John goes, Oh, Paul, I'm so glad. Good. I know how much you love the Beatles, but I'm glad that you finally come to terms with the fact <laughs> that the Beatles are over. I know that was yeah. really hard for you. I'm really happy to hear that you're in a good place. I really wish you well in your solo career that I absolutely didn't try to just sabotage a week and a half ago. For no <laughs> just so you know, I'm going to be supportive of you in your solo career from here on out. And I just don't think that there's any way that that happened. I mean, I can't prove it, <laughs> but um, I just, I'm just not buying it because, okay, one final recap. John says to his spouse, I want a divorce. And then John's lawyer butts in and says, John doesn't want to tell the kids yet. Right? So Paul goes, okay, I guess. What? And, and just walks away. So John has hurt Paul, shaken him up, and he saw it and he was glad. But then let's say that John is expecting Paul to come back a week later and say, okay, what can I do to make it right? Or let's go to couples counseling or whatever but Paul doesn't. So John gives him three months and then he starts to reach out, drop hints and postcards, no reply to the interviews or instant karma, nothing from Paul, right? John comes so close, but he just can't quite show up uninvited at Paul's place. He threatens to, but he can't pull the trigger. Right. And then he pulls an emergency stunt at the office with this release date nonsense. <laughs> Something yeah. Paul cannot ignore, right? Yeah. Like he lights a file cabinet on fire. <laughs> right. The smoke <laughs> alarm's going off, Paul. In your office. In your office. Is there can't... anything important in this cabinet? <laughs> <laughs> we can't get in. 
because we don't have a key to your office <laughs> and it still doesn't work <laughs> yeah paul, paul still won't talk to him yeah paul's mad and hurt yeah no matter what smoke signals john sends over to paul paul's not responding like one of our listeners asked why can't john just get in his car and go over to paul's house like it <laughs> just seems so much easier than like dropping all these hints and interviews and writing songs and stuff like that which of course it would be easier but mm -hmm. john can't be that direct because john and paul are afraid of each other they can't face each other yeah it would be too painful to be explicitly rejected exactly i think it's because john is afraid that he's fucked things up with paul for good now or at the very least that paul isn't going to be asking john back mm -hmm. so so even if he can save it he's going to have to do something yeah which is terrifying and i just don't think there's any way that john can put himself all the way out there if he thinks that there's a decent possibility that paul will not take him back yeah because john is absolutely terrified of rejection yes which is which is why he takes this insanely circuitous route rather than just walk on his feet to cavendish yes which is why he sends pete shotton to go ask paul out like the first time yes. that they meet, like he can't even invite him into his band. Yeah. He has Pete do it. Let's move me, you, and everybody we know to an island to get glass hamster houses. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Rather than ask Paul, like, Paul, do you have feelings for me? It's easier for him to move into Paul's house and have loud sex with his girlfriend <laughs> in the room next to Paul's. Does this bother you? that is easier to him yeah he's not just like he's never gonna lay it on the line i don't yeah. think so john has said many times yeah how pathologically terrified of rejection he is it's like a phobia but paul is also afraid of rejection exactly. and paul already feels that john has rejected him in a room full of their best friends no less so no doubt he would be afraid that john was gonna hurt him again exactly he's not coming to john yeah and john's not going to him so yeah oh they're so stupid and also like unless a group of intrepid podcasters 50 years <laughs> after the fact collect all this source data and make a semi-cohesive oh. blueprint of all this information john has plausible deniability yeah forever yes that's a key factor in all this because if he's thinking you know if i end up with egg on my face i'm just gonna say i was dying to leave i couldn't yep. wait to get out of the beatles i quit in september in fact you know what i was mentally checked out of there years before you know <laughs> since 1966 the minute i met yoko i didn't even care about the beatles so how about that one it he can just cover his tracks ad infinitum and everyone is eager to believe that story so everybody believes it yeah. nobody's fact checking john lennon nobody's going well, wait a second john your actions are not consistent with what you're telling us right now exactly they're just like oh very interesting wow let me write that down that must be 
the true history of the Beatles. Thanks, right. John. If this is the situation where they're both super hurt and scared, A, just the mere fact that Paul is not speaking to him is probably driving John bananas. Mm-hmm. But um, I think B, not knowing where he stands with Paul is probably driving him nuts too. Oh, as, I would it, think so. as it would anybody. Absolutely. You know, from Paul's point of view, he might be like, well, what is there to talk about? You, you know. If there's something to talk about, John, maybe someone should talk about it to my face not to the press well exactly if if you have something to say then say it don't do all this stuff designed to make me go oh hey john is there something you want to say right and also if if i don't give you the exact reaction that you want you're gonna turn around Mm -hmm. and deny that you ever said or did or felt any of these things in the first place yeah and then you're going to say something shitty to make me look like an asshole. Yeah. And I have no reason to believe this cycle will ever end. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. All I know is that no matter what, you're going to do whatever it takes to you save yourself. To, to save yourself. Yes. And to not yeah. look like what you consider to be weak. Mm hmm that's my role i guess i guess i have to go out there and say all the weak shit (laughs) i love john john left me i wish the beatles could continue but yeah i was jealous of yoko i was jealous of fucking yoko i have to go out there and hang myself in the public square Mm -hmm. so you get to still be mr cool guy who's too cool to like me right so you can trash me in public but woo me in private okay but from john's point of view there's only a limited amount of comfort that he can take from paul's kind words and warmth toward him in public Hmm. when he like when he says things like i love john and i respect him And Paul's quotes about how he didn't want the Beatles to break up, but John said it was over. That is good for John in that it helps him save face. But it's bad because it means things are over. And Paul is leaving him and offering a sort of consolation prize. Mm. Instead of giving John what he really wants. Which is Paul's undying love and support, but on John's terms. Yeah. So all this public niceness from Paul is pretty cold comfort. So he's just like, oh, well, fine, Paul, I'll take that. Yeah. But I'm not happy with you. I'm still angry right. with you. Mm-hmm. But I will take all the masks that you uh, that you give me yeah. and I will wear yeah. them proudly in public. Yes. Believe that. All, all the fig leaves all the invisible emperor's clothes yeah oh you're so sorry it turned out this way but i can pin it on you okay great well you better fucking believe i'm gonna pin it on you Mm -hmm. let me go talk some absolute mad trash right now (laughs) yeah Woo! it just occurred to me like maybe part of why paul was maybe one of the reasons why he didn't react too strongly to that is because 
he thought that's what it would take for John to not come gunning for him anymore. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'll be as conciliatory as possible right up front, and hopefully that will, you know, give him what he needs. Yeah. <laughs> to move on. Yeah. Yeah, that didn't work out. No. <laughs> and, then, and then like two months later, Paul writes him a letter. And he's like, so these are my terms. This is how I would like to separate everything. Let's do yeah. it this way, this way, this way, this way. And John's just like, oh, Excuse fuck no. Oh, me? fuck no. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> I'm sorry, are you asking me for a divorce now? Oh, no. <laughs> and and you mean it? How about this, Paul? I say no divorce. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So, so if that's the situation under which this phone call is coming, it, and let's even say that John feels there's a good chance that Paul is not calling to say, hey, John, I'm sorry for what whatever John thinks he needs to apologize for, right? Right, right. I'm sorry. Is there a way to do Beatles in the future? Or whatever it is that John wants to hear. Even if John's gotten to the point where he suspects Paul is never going to say that. He's still not going to be happy when Paul calls back six months later and says, all right, I want a divorce too. When Paul confirms John's worst fears. Right. Yeah. We're supposed to believe that good that makes two of us means John is happy. Paul's leaving. But that begs the question, what would John have said if he wasn't happy Paul was leaving? If he was hurt? What would he say? How would he behave differently? Wouldn't his answer still be good? Well, that makes two of us then. Yes. I mean, what else is he going to say? Right? He's going to be like, oh, okay, then fine. Good. Well, uh, yeah, especially like you say, especially if he suspects that this is what Paul's going to say to him. So he's had time to prepare. Well, that's what I'm saying. Because this phone call comes in April and not in like the beginning of March, you know, all that instant karma stuff, that's all at the end of February, right? So John's mm -hmm. had a month. And like, if Paul was going to react, he probably would have done it right away, right? But if, if another month passes after all those interviews and instant karma and all that, and he gets crickets for another right. month maybe yeah. by the end of march he's like the odds are getting worse and worse exactly yeah maybe it's kind of sinking in that they're not going to be able to turn things around and maybe that's partially why he pulls this shit with the switch in the date he's like i'm sick of this living in limbo let me try to force paul's hand and if, if paul sure. still doesn't come to him after that by the time he gets that phone call on the ninth, he's like, this isn't going to be good. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. there's no way that Paul is calling up on April 9th going, hey, babe, think you yeah, want to do I an album you. in a few months? Like, that it's yeah. not going to be the phone call. He knows. No, it's, it, just, it's absolutely yeah. true. And we do know that John could be extremely apologetic and could grovel who's like could be an a plus groveler like yeah. in that in that letter to cynthia that was just like a solid page of don't leave me don't leave me don't leave me in all caps an entire page of that oh wow like he he's definitely capable of yeah 
yeah, kissing the ground. But I think way more often than not, he wants to appear strong and he wants to save face. But if if Paul opens with, hey, I'm doing what you did last year. I'm I'm putting out an album and I'm leaving the Beatles too. Yes. Where's, John, where, where's the conversation going to go from there? Well, exactly. And I, I don't get any indication that John ever thinks that Paul is playing games with this. No. That Paul doesn't mean it. I think he knows Paul means it. Yes. I think he knows that Paul wouldn't say this unless he meant it. Yeah. Which is terrifying. Even Gilmore made the point. He wrote that Paul was the only Beatle who had never left the group in a fit of mm-hmm. peak or out of whimsy. Yeah. And that when he meant it, it meant the Beatles were over. Yeah. Because Paul didn't play games about that shit. Yeah. And also... Paul's been quiet for six months. So you know there's no point trying to argue him out of it at that point. Yeah, if Paul had come back a week later and been like, you know what, John? That was a really mean thing you said. I don't want to have anything to do with you anymore. Let's break up. It would still make complete sense for John to be like, okay, well, now we're fighting. Now I can woo him back. But when there's six months in between. Of ice. Yes. There's no, oh, he's just mad. He'll cool off. It's like, no, he's, he's, he's cooled off. That's the problem. He's sub-zero. Yeah. Yeah, and that Paul you don't fuck with. No. Well. (laughs) You shouldn't anyway. You shouldn't. Yeah. So John really has no option other than to double down at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Be like, good. That's what I want too. Good. Glad you're Mm -hmm. leaving. Yeah. If we were writing his dialogue for a film, that is what we would write. Exactly. How many times do we have to be told that John had a hard exterior covering up the vulnerable sweet side, (laughs) right? It's like literally how everybody describes him in his life. Uh, Yeah. So the version that we're supposed to believe, like this version that he's selling in Lennon Remembers, where John's like, Paul called me up, easy breezy, lemon squeezy, you know, and he (laughs) said, I'm leaving. And I, I went, wow, that's great, Paul. That's cool. I'm so glad for you that you've accepted that we finished. And then I guess for some reason he didn't add like, by the way, oh my God, I am so sorry about that release date thing. My bad. I totally overstepped. That will never happen again. I hope you don't take that some kind of way. Yeah. I want to be cool. I want to be cool. Let's be cool. That never happened. (laughs) No. And also if he's so relieved, wouldn't he say like, let me know when you're ready to talk about announcing the breakup because I've got some ideas um, and I know it's going to be hard for you because you wanted the Beatles the most. But... Right. Cause he had, he had to add that in and Lennon remembers. I mean, <laughs> what he's telling the story, John, you're so tacky. Oh my God. It's like, even <laughs> if that were true, why would you say that? I know it's just, yeah, we know why. Yeah. <laughs> just for the record. Paul wanted it more than I did. Yes. <laughs> Just to ask the obvious question, though, like, so if Paul is calling John at Janov's clinic the day before the album drops, he's making an effort to get a hold of him right away. And he hasn't talked to him in six months. So there's a reason right. he needs to talk to him right away, is what I'm saying. Right. That he's not leaving a message. Oh, when he gets home from therapy, right. have him call me. I need to speak with him at his doctor's office. If John was just cool and groovy, 
and you know relieved that paul has finally left the beatles mentally as he purports right mm -hmm. wouldn't he then be like oh hey paul you're not planning anything are you like announcement wise is that why you're calling oh mm -hmm. because that's a pretty obvious leap let's you would definitely kind of be like okay is that the only reason you're calling right is there something else you want to tell me unless john is just so devastated by this phone call yeah. that Rattled. there's that it's not he it, that's not even on his mind mm -hmm. it's amazing how often taking any sort of solid step toward the breakup is never on john's mind <laughs> in private in public when he's yeah. doing interviews yes if this phone call is not paul saying goodbye and paul leaving john then what is the purpose of this phone call what is even the fake purpose of this phone call do you know what i mean like what are i don't understand what we're supposed to believe about this phone call like he's not calling to let him know the mccartney album's coming out they know that no he's calling him to warn him about the press release then what it looks like to me is paul is calling paul wants to tell john personally before it comes out in the paper he doesn't right. want he doesn't john want... to read in the papers that he's exactly leaving. yes yeah that's exactly what it is so there's paul... no way for paul to take it back now so did paul did paul call up and tell john beforehand just to dull the shock of john reading it in the papers was he hoping that john would connect the dots and that he would be expecting an announcement or did paul call up with the intention of telling john about the press announcement and then he couldn't go through with it oh i could any any one of those i could believe i think he was probably gonna give him a heads up about the press release but either he lost his nerve mm -hmm. on the phone call because it was just too much mm -hmm. or because of john's reaction on the other end sure. of the phone if he calls up and john's seems upset that could make paul lose his nerve or if john was like great well that makes two of us you know if john said that to me i'd be like oh fucking dick and then I'm either going to go two ways at that point. I'm either going to be like, you know what? You love him. He's hurt. You know that he's hurt. Just push through and do the right thing and tell right. him. Right. Or I could go, you know what? Fuck this piece of shit. I'm God damn it. And then I remember the divorce meeting again. I'm like, no, you know what? Fuck him. He'll read mm -hmm. it in the papers. So mm -hmm. it's so hard in this situation because yes i guess it kind of would have been underhanded if if paul had wanted to make sure that he got on the record first but i don't think that that's because paul is trying to save face because he he doesn't try to save face at all yeah he doesn't. i think it's because it's john and who knows what john might do in public if you're if you're dealing with someone who throws bombs and does yeah 
destructive things in public when he's angry, then yeah, I think you're entitled to be like, okay, I'm going to be the one to handle this because I'm the one who's capable of doing it in a controlled fashion. And ultimately that's better, not just for me, but for him too. I guess, although it backfired anyway. Well, yeah. Like I'm completely, I I doubt Paul was expecting zero blowback. Mm Mm-hmm. But I agree that he was probably just looking to cause minimal damage while at the same time pushing back and standing up for himself a little bit and getting his perspective out there. Sure. Because he's been on the defensive for months, Mm -hmm. you know, really since 1968. Yeah. And so it's kind of inevitable that he's finally going to go on the offense. Yeah. Well, and once, yeah, once you decide that, no, I'm going to nope out of this situation. I'm not going to continue to try to save anything. Then, yeah, there's no there's no more reason to be defensive. You just got to right. do what you got to do. Yeah, I think that he feels like he's being proactive here. You know, he's like, this is the one thing I can control. Sure. And also, Paul didn't put out a press statement on behalf of the Beatles the way that John wrote to EMI on behalf of the Beatles. Well, that's the other thing. After everything John has done, why is it Paul's job to still give John every consideration and to treat him like a loyal partner when John is not being loyal to Paul? Yeah. He's, at this point, he has to start looking out for himself. Yeah. And to be fair to him, you know john's been running his mouth for the past six months well exactly exactly paul hasn't said shit yeah john's been running his mouth about the beatles how involved are you in the beatles john do you want to continue do you want to make another album are you Mm -hmm. invested do you care more about the plastic ono band like he's been answering all those questions yeah so it's only fair that paul gets to answer them once (laughs) sure yeah john gave his answers and paul gave his and george gave his and ringo gave like they've all all three of them have been yeah walking up a storm about the future of the beatles yeah it is a really big ask for us to be expected to believe that John was simply relieved that Paul had caught up to him and was now ready to jointly dissolve the Beatles. <laughs> because that's obviously not true because we know about John's later behavior, how he behaves after this. He refuses to allow Paul to dissolve the Beatles and he forces a lawsuit and then fights him in that lawsuit every step of the way every step of the way and keeps publicly saying when he thinks paul will be coming back i mean uh, we can't retroactively (laughs) apply john's attitude about paul and the beatles to this conversation i think that's completely fair not john's words not what john said to jan wenner john's actions Here's Paul's version, given to Life magazine in March 1971, three months after Lennon remembers. 
I think what John did was tremendous from the point of view of, okay, so we are actually going to go our own ways. You just can't be as tied together as we were for so long a period of time, unless you all live in the same house. From then onward, it was to be a question of living your own life, which was the first real turn on for me in a long time. And this coincided with my meeting Linda. So early in 1970, I phoned John and told him I was leaving the Beatles too. He said, good, that makes two of us who have accepted it mentally. And I've changed. The funny thing about it is that I think a lot of my change has been helped by John Lennon. I sort of picked up on his lead. John had said, look, I don't want to be that anymore. I'm going to be this. And I thought, that's great. I liked the fact he'd done it. And so I'll do it with my thing. He's given the okay. Hmm. <laughs> All right. Hmm. <laughs> He's given the okay. Uh, because I called him and presented it in such a way that he had to give me the okay. I don't think he's talking about 1970 there. I think he's talking about Yoko. I think he's talking about Linda and Yoko. Maybe. I definitely think so. I sort of picked up on his lead. John had said, look, I don't want to be that anymore. I'm going to be this. He's talking about, you know, like the John and Yoko. Yeah. Huh? And I thought, that's great. I like that he did it. So I'll do my thing. He's given the okay. I don't think he's talking about that phone call anymore. Because listen, he says, you can't be as tied together as we were for so long a period of time unless you all live in the same house. Yeah. From then onward, it was to be a question of living your own life, which was the first real turn on for me in a long time, which is kind of, that's a harsh thing to say. It is, yeah. I mean, I don't think he means it nasty. Maybe he does. Maybe he's saying, yeah, you know what? I wasn't fucking turned on by the Beatles for years either. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because he says, and th that was the first real turn on for me in a long time. And this coincided with my meeting Linda. Right. Not Linda was the first big turn on. Well, no, but he's saying like the idea of separating from the Beatles and being my own man was the first real turn on I'd had in a while. So he's saying yeah. like, I, I wasn't hard for the Beatles either. <laughs> yeah. And I really got turned on when we broke up, when you went off and did your thing. And I thought, oh, I can be by myself. I can go do my own thing now, mm -hmm. which is when Linda came into the picture. Because here's the thing is, I think from Paul's point of view, he definitely sees it as John left first and then I followed suit. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily think that John feels that way. I think he feels like Paul left him before he left. Like, I feel like John preemptively leaves kind of. Yeah. But I don't think, I don't think that's how Paul sees it whatever happened john's thinking one thing and paul either half knows or suspects what's going on but it's not explicit enough so that paul still feels like he's sort of caught off guard mm. by yoko and the whole situation there mm -hmm. oh he's definitely caught off guard by that yeah and so once john has yoko and he's like nope this is me now suck it up paul and deal with it then paul's like oh okay well i guess i have to find something else too yeah so yeah. that's why i think he's saying you know 
okay, that's great. I like the fact that he done it. And so I'll do it with my thing. He's yeah. given the okay. I think Paul is saying whether he's telegraphing it to John, which I think he always is, right? Mm -hmm. Or if he's saying it for the public, this is all you. Like you gave me permission to leave once yeah. you started up with Yoko. Uh huh. So what the fuck was I supposed to do? Yeah, I think he knows John doesn't. That John doesn't see it that way. Well, that's why he's he's repeating John's words here. He's exactly. Like, By the way, yes. John said, "Good." That makes the two of us. It's like that. Yeah. It's it's like the fucking the family way thing. It's like, well, John, you told me. Fine, go it ahead. Fine. It's right. not. It doesn't bother you. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm gonna go ahead and be fine, and assume right. that it doesn't bother you. Yes. <laughs> if john's like oh i have i have yoko and she's she's fulfilled me and she's my new partner now what's mm -hmm. paul gonna do <laughs> he goes oh okay i guess that leaves me out of the picture and then they're like just like where are you going and he's like oh, i don't know i guess i'm going to a beetle session is that what we're doing right oh yoko's gonna be here too okay guess i'm getting a little bit of mixed signals here john not really sure what you want out of me well, that's for sure. And then, so if John says, I want a divorce, I mean. Sure. If you if you get that many mixed signals, there definitely comes a point where it's like, you know what? I don't think you quite mean the literal words you're saying, but I'm just going to have to proceed on the assumption that you do. Because. Yes. <laughs> what else am I going to do at this point? I don't know what you want, or I can't give you what you want. In lieu of anything better, I guess my best option is to take you at your word. Right. And no matter what I do, yeah, you're going to have a public version that makes me look bad, no matter yeah. what. Yep. So I might as well do what'll, what's going to make me happy. And learn to let you go. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where I think these two dum-dums are. <laughs> one more thing i feel we should address just for the sake of covering our bases this is a very bizarre quote from paul in many years from now sort of rambling tangential doesn't make a lot of sense <laughs> so he says we were actually enjoying ourselves like children linda and i actually enjoying life for the first time in a while so he's talking about um the the mccartney album getting uh -huh. it ready for to go out he said and i put the killer scoop in there and then i just sent this out to the press only the press got the ones with the questionnaire in i think some of the press thought this was how i was releasing the album with this questionnaire in it so a few people said this is outrageous and john i think was very hurt I personally think he was hurt because he wanted to tell. I don't think it was anything more than that. I think it was just straightforward jealousy. He wanted to be the one because he'd been the one to break up the Beatles. And he hadn't had the nerve to follow it through. <laughs> because Klein had told him, don't tell anyone. Keep this thing rolling as long as we can. Oh, that's interesting. Um but we'd not seen each other for three or four months and i had been ringing calling george and ringo and asking 
do you think we'll get back together? Uh-huh. Well, I don't know. What about John? And I'd ring John. Oh no, fucking hell. So it was obviously not on. So I let the news out. So I was not loved for that by the other guys. And that started a war between us. So Wolf, he hasn't seen John since the divorce meeting. That's six months. But he did right. see George and Ringo in January. Uh-huh. So that might be accurate that he hadn't they he hadn't seen Georgia Ringo for three months. Uh-huh. Do you think we'll get back together? Well, I think that's supposed to be George and Ringo saying, I don't know what about John. Oh yeah. And then it's he says, and I'd ring John, and then in quotes, oh no fucking hell. He said I'd ring John. Well, sometimes he says that when he means he did something once, he'd say, So you'd call you know what i mean like he loves uh-huh. the, the past participle randomly and yes. inappropriately so <laughs> yes he does so weird well, he does it's true um so he could mean i just called him the one time and maybe he means that time right before the press release because if paul is suggesting that he called john at all let alone more than once prior to april and asked if john would like to get back together again and john said no way fuck you then uh-huh. that's something that no one knows about and john is never mentioned which and john is never mentioned it makes no yeah. sense at all no i mean he doesn't say i rang john and asked him hey john would you like to get the beatles back together right he, right he just says i'd ring john and then he immediately cuts to, oh no, fucking hell. That could be Paul paraphrasing that conversation of theirs where he's like, good, so do I. I'm just glad we both have accepted it mentally. And Paul's like writing in his book, okay, John said, no go. So I'm in the clear. Yeah. Accepted it mentally. Yeah. Good talk, John. <laughs> Click. Yeah. <laughs> Hope you have a good scream session tonight. Now, the traditional interpretation is that Paul was always desperate to save the Beatles, even in April 1970. So if if you're a jean jacket, you would read that quote and you'd be like, well, look at this. This is proof that Paul called him on the night and asked him to get, please, 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 John, I'm begging, please let the Beatles continue. John's like, fuck no, wake up to reality, Paul, like quit the band. I want a divorce. Yeah. Send the divorce papers over right now. So I can throw them back in your yeah, face exactly. and scream, never! <laughs> but clearly that didn't happen, right? Right, right, there's, right, right. There's no way in hell that if that happened, John wouldn't broadcast it all over the place. Yeah, well, and even if it happened before. Right, exact, exactly. If I would he, assume yes. that John would say something at some point. If he had at any point called John between September and April and said, hey, John, have you changed your mind? Do you still want a divorce? Or could we please get the Beals back together? John would tell everybody. He would be telling that story in every interview. There's no fathomable reason why John would tell this other story of paul calling up and telling john i'm quitting too yeah and i'm usually not one for the argument of if it had happened we would know 
because someone would have said something <laughs> yeah like right. I'm, that doesn't usually, apply across the board it does sure. not and, I, and i'm no. usually very skeptical i was like you know what people keep secrets but this is definitely one where i'm like he would have said something of course he would have yeah so paul seems to be implying in this passage that he was at least open to continuing the beatles but john wasn't which may be what paul genuinely believes but another explanation and the one which makes the most sense to us is that john and paul are currently locked in the world's dumbest standoff <laughs> where both of them are giving the other the opportunity to say let's not break up <sighs> but neither one takes the bait and they both end up doubling down on the split for the sake of their own pride, even though they're both crying on the inside. But just to be thorough, we thought we should mention this weird passage in many years from now. And you can decide for yourselves what makes the most sense to you. Yay! So there we are. There we are. We made it through episode four. Woo! <sighs> But Daphne, <sighs> there's still more drama. What? Surely not. Oh, yes. We're not quite done with this month. God, of course we're not. In like a lion and out like a lamb. Don't miss episode five. There is the aftermath of the announcement. John is upset. The long and winding road debacle. <laughs> Paul is very upset. And finally, Paul's epic interview with Ray Connolly for the Evening Standard. 11 days after the breakup news. Everyone is very upset. And we will tackle all of that in episode 5, along with our final assessment and conclusion. Okay, so are we actually going to go our own ways? Okay, so we are actually going oh, to go our you. own ways. From then onward, it has to be a question of living your it own life. It was to be a I don't... Why is this... So oh my gosh or like here's a healthy way here's a healthy way to just <laughs> to <fuck> your mom <laughs> you have the best vocabulary thanks you really do i i learned so many cool words from you oh thank you you're welcome Degree is good for something, I guess. <laughs> Hop in the car, girl. Want to see my diploma? <laughs> <laughs> is, that, is that a thesaurus in your pocket? Or are you just got to see? Now, now who's the thesaurus? <laughs> the thesaurus has become the thesaurer. That's what he said. <laughs> Sometimes you get to have the thesaurus and sometimes he does love me a man who will take a thesaurus now and then <laughs> one of these could be an isolated incident two might be a coincidence three is a pattern absolutely and how many examples did you give uh, i mean i would say three and a half one two <laughs> three yeah three and a half <laughs> Q 
QQ, or as Paul said, Peter Brown. Colon, question, question. This heartbreaking, emotional Cuisinart of a month. The month that keeps on aggravating. Oh. It's spring, and all the flowers are blooming. <laughs> <laughs>